I want to begin with a little retraction from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was up here speaking and I misled you with some information and so I just want to clear this up. I was uh, talking about Jason Voorhees and I said go watch the movie Halloween if you want to know who he is. That was actually his BFF um, Michael Myers who was in Halloween. Uh, Jason Voorhees was in Friday the 13th, all right? So misled you with some information. I apologize. That's why I didn't speak last week. The board reprimanded me and uh, I was put on notice. But uh, I'm kidding about the last part, but just wanted to clear that up there. Speaking about scary things, let's talk about your golf game, okay? I, I know some of you in here, you play golf and you enjoy the game of golf. And, you know, if you, if you play golf, you play a round of golf, you usually go to the range before you uh, end up playing. And you do that to kind of stretch your muscles, to, to get warmed up, see how you're hitting your irons, see how you're hitting your, your, your driver, because you, you want to be prepped when you get out there. You don't want to stink it up. And, and so you get out there, or you get ready to get out there, and you're ready, and it's the very first tee. And you get on that first tee, and you might be really, really stretched. You might be really, really warm. Maybe you hit all your, your clubs the right way and exactly like you wanted to. But you get on that first tee, and your mind starts wondering, doesn't it? It starts telling you all of these things in your head like, hey, don't mess up. Hey, make sure you hit it straight. Hey, you're trying to impress these people that you're playing with. You don't want to look like you don't know what you're doing. You don't want to look like you can't play. And so your mind starts going crazy, and you're up there trying to hit this very first ball. And you, you take that first swing, and it's trash, isn't it? Have you ever played before? You know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you duck hook it into the water, or you slice it over into the woods, or you, you dribble it about two or three feet in front of you. And, and everybody behind you that's playing with you laughs at you first. And then they say these words. Why don't you hit a mulligan? Now, what is a mulligan? A mulligan's a do-over. What they're saying is, hey, that first hit was so terrible, so horrible. We feel so bad for you. We're going to ask you to go ahead and hit the ball one more time. But that's it. We're not going to ask you to do it anymore after that. But hit that ball one more time. Have a do-over. I think for you and I, we would love to have a few mulligans from our past, wouldn't we? Maybe a few thousand mulligans from our past. A few times where we could go back and, and do things over. Things that, uh, decisions that we've made that we'd love to go back and, and change. Things that we've experienced in our life that we wouldn't want to experience again. We'd love to have these moments to have do-overs in our lives. And so that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue this series, Dealing with Detours. As we're looking at this life of Joseph, today we're going to talk about the detours from our past that we have experienced. Again, some of these are decisions that we've made that we'd love to say, hey, can I get a mulligan for that? Or experiences, hey, can I get a mulligan for that? Because they have affected us for, for maybe years or decades. And we're still trying to get past the past that we've experienced. We look at this guy named Joseph, and he's had a pretty pretty rough past but how is it Joseph is able to move beyond that past and so we're going to spend our time this morning looking at how Joseph is able to do that because if we look at his past in some ways I think we can compare it to many of ours too we're going to be spending all of our time today in Genesis chapter 41 if you have your Bible you can turn there if not we're going to put up here on the screens but here's how it begins in Genesis chapter 41 starting with verse 1 it says two full years later Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. 
Here in chapter 41, this is about two years after um, Joseph or after last week when Joel was talking uh, about Joseph being in prison. He's still in prison, but we meet this new character in our story, this guy named Pharaoh. And, uh, and this is the Pharaoh of, of all of, of Egypt. Now, there's this common thread, if you've been following along with us or if you read any more about the life of Joseph, there's these dreams, right? These dreams keep popping up, and we have these dreams that show up again in the life of this guy named Pharaoh. Pharaoh has this first dream that there are these seven fat, healthy cows, and they come out of the river, and they're grazing on the grass. They're just eating away. They're having a good old time. Well, these seven other cows come up, and they're a little bit different. They're not fat and healthy. They're scrawny and thin, and they go and stand beside the fat and healthy cows. Well, the next thing you know, these skinny, thin, scrawny cows eat the big, fat, plump cows. Just eats them. Now, Pharaoh is startled by this, so he wakes up from his dream. He's like, what is going on here? He's like, this isn't like the other dreams I usually have about going to school in my underwear, right? He's like, this is so different. Well, he calms down finally. He goes back to sleep, and he has this second dream. The second dream, there are seven plump, beautiful heads of grain, and they're growing from this single stalk. And then you have these seven withered and shriveled heads of grain that appear. What do those withered and shriveled heads of grain do? They eat the seven plump, beautiful heads of grain. Once again, this dream frightens Pharaoh. He wakes up. And in fact, he's in such a mood now that he's like, I got to figure this out. These two dreams, they got to mean something. So he he goes out into the people that he knows and finds all the most intelligent people he knows. Says, hey, come in here. I need you to help me out. And so he tells them the dream and they hear the dreams and they're kind of dumbfounded. And I don't know, at some point maybe they said, dude, did you eat some bad tacos last night? Or we we can't really help you out. We, We don't know what the deal is. We can't interpret these dreams for you well one day the cupbearer of the pharaoh he would have been around when all these conversations were happening he he hears this and he's reminded of this guy named joseph he he remembers this guy named joseph and, and this guy named joseph how he helped him interpret his dreams and how those dreams came true and Now, he had told Joseph when Joseph helped him out in prison, he's like, hey, I'm not going to forget you. Well, this is two years later. He sort of forgot Joseph, right? But for some reason, Joseph came back into his memory. And the cupbearer goes to the Pharaoh. And here's what he says in verse 11. He says, one night the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. Here's the cupbearer, and he retells his experience with Joseph and everything that went on through the dreams that he had, the dreams the baker had, and how those dreams came true. Well, Pharaoh, of course, he hears this. He's like, all right, bring this guy in. I want to see if this guy can interpret my dreams. Verse 14, Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. 
Joseph's been in jail for probably 10 plus years, and um, as he's there, he probably doesn't look and smell that great, so he takes a shower, he shaves, puts on some new clothes, and he goes to see the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh says, hey, you can interpret dreams. I've heard this about you. Here's my dreams. Can you help me with this? And I love, I love what Joseph says next in verse 16. He said, it's beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. So Pharaoh told Joseph his dreams. Now think about this. This is an opportunity for Joseph to come out and say, hey, I, I did this, right? He, he has an opportunity to say, hey, I'm the one who, who made this happen. But he doesn't do that. What does he say here? He says, I can't do this, but God can I don't have the power to interpret these dreams for you, but God can do that. And so he takes those dreams that he's heard from Pharaoh and he says, here's what God's saying, is that for seven years, there, there's going to be this great prosperity for Egypt. It's going to be amazing. You're going to have all this grain, but then seven years after that, it's going to be famine and there's not going to be great prosperity. And so we've got to learn to figure out what this is going to look like for us in the long term so we can prepare for the future. And then he says this to Pharaoh, Joseph does, verse 33. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. I don't know about you, but if this was me, I would have been standing there staring Pharaoh straight in the eyes like, hmm, I wonder who that could be, Pharaoh. Right, because you've been in prison for like 13 years. You want a way out, but that's not Joseph's way. He probably didn't do that. Look at verse 38. Here was Pharaoh's response to Joseph. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. So Pharaoh says, hey, I can't find anybody else as intelligent as this guy right here. And so I'm going to put him in charge of everything. The only person that's going to be more powerful than him is going to be me. And here's what Joseph's going to do. He's going to plan for our future. He's going to put us in such a place that when this famine comes for seven years, we're going to be ready and we're going to be prepared for that time. As we've been talking about the life of Joseph in this series, we've talked about all the detours that he's had to endure over and over again and how he handles them when they, they come. And, and as we've looked at the life of Joseph, it's amazing to me how he seems to handle these things in such a healthy way every single time. That the way he handles it is very different than maybe the way that you and I would handle these experiences that he's had. And, and so it kind of begs us to ask the question of ourselves, how do you handle your past? Because when we look at Joseph, all these things that have happened to him, he's able to keep moving forward. He's able to keep his faith in God. But for you and for me, how do we handle the past that we've experienced? How do you handle those decisions from your past? How do you handle those experiences from your past. And as we look at Joseph, what can we learn from him? Well, what I want to do this morning is share with you a few thoughts about our past that I, I think that Joseph probably had to deal with based on what we know. And 
And I know it's things that you and I have to deal with when it comes to our past. And, and I think there's some healthy outcomes from this if we, if we make some good next steps in our life. But here's the first thing I would say about our past. You experience pain from your past. You experience pain from your past. Depending on your age, you probably remember uh, one or, or maybe all of these historical moments um, November 22nd, 1963, was the day that uh, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Uh, January 28th, 1986, 90 seconds into takeoff, the, Challenger, the space shuttle Challenger uh, exploded in midair. September 11th, 2001, attack on the Twin Towers in New York City, the attack on the Pentagon here, the plane that was taken down in Pennsylvania. You know, we, we all, depending on your age and, and when these moments occurred, these historical moments, um, if you were alive during them, you remember everything about that day, right? You remember where you were, you remember what you were doing, you remember your experience, you remember your feelings. I mean, those historical moments, they, they leave a mark on us, and it's, it's one that stays with us. But it's the same thing when it comes to our lives and our past. Those experiences that we've had in our past, they leave a mark on us. Those decisions that we've made that we're still trying to deal with to this day, they, they leave a, a mark on us. That we, we can still remember what we experienced and what it was like and the feelings. I mean, it's like those historical moments. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't ever go away. It's always there. And so as you begin to think about your life, what are the pain points what are the pain points in your life from your past that are still leaving a mark on you to this day? Maybe it's personal decisions that you've made um, in relationships, in, uh, in marriage, in your finances, maybe addictions that, that you have. Or, or it could be experiences that you've had at the hands of others, abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse. Sexual abuse, spiritual abuse. Maybe there's words that have been said towards you or actions that have been done towards you that are they're still painful and still stick with you to this day. They've, they've left a mark. See, there's pain in that. And then when I look at Joseph, there had to be a lot of pain there. Being abused by his brothers, thrown into a pit, Sold into slavery, falsely accused, put in prison, forgotten. I mean, I look at his life and I think if anybody had a right to be upset and, and feel the pain of the past, Joseph would be one of those, those people. And, and I say that because when we look at our past, there are those moments in our past that I believe bring us pain. You and I experience pain from our past but then the second thing I would say is that your past can define who you are today. Your past can define who you are today. I'm, I'm guessing that every single person in this room right now, you got up this morning and you looked at yourself in the mirror, right? And when you looked at yourself in the, in the mirror, you probably said, well, there's a couple of wrinkles I didn't see yesterday. Um, there's some more gray hair I didn't know that I had. Uh, a little extra flab that wasn't there, you know, six years ago. Um, a little cellulite, some bags under the eyes, and some of us are like, hey, it looks like I'm balding a little bit more than I have in the past. I mean, right, this is what we see when we look in the, in the mirror. Now, there'd be maybe one of you in this room who looked in the mirror and said, dang, I look good, right? 
And kudos to you if you've got that positive outlook. But most of us, we, we don't look in the mirror and see those things. We, we see all these, these blemishes that are there, right? And we tell ourselves, because of what we see in the mirror, what's looking back at us is, is things like, I, I'm not pretty. Um, my body looks rough. Why can't it look like the other guys at the gym? Uh, where did my hair go? We, we begin to, to look at ourselves and these, these thoughts that we have that we see looking back at us, we allow them to, to define how we view who we are. And that's not any difference, different when it comes to our past and what our past does to us. The decisions that we've made in our past begin to define who we are right now in the present and also begin to define who we will be in the future. Those experiences that we have, they will become to define who we are right now and they'll come to define who we are in the future. Our past pains too often become our present identity. The past and what we've experienced, that pain that's been there, becomes and defines who we are now and in the future. And I look at Joseph again. He could, he could easily have allowed everything that he faced, everything he could, uh, he could have uh, experienced and encountered to define who he was right then and there and also define who he'd become in his future. Because that's the way many of us work. That past is still defining our lives to this day. And when we allow that to happen, that means that you become a prisoner to your past. You become a prisoner to your past, that you can't get past your past. We get to this place where we become prisoners of our past. We are captured by it. And the walls that we have built are too high for us to jump over. And the walls that are there are too impenetrable for us to go through. And so here we are. We are... We are a prisoner to the past that we have experienced in our life. And we cannot in any way, shape, or form figure out how to get beyond this prison that we are in. And once again, I look at the life of Joseph, and somehow he doesn't end up building those walls. Somehow he's able to deal with his past in healthy ways. He's, he's able to not be captive and imprisoned to his past. How is this guy able to do this? I think there are two pieces to him that are important for us to understand in our life that I think he put into practice that helped him work through it. The first thing I would say is you can't change your past, so accept it. You can't change your past, so accept it. Wouldn't it be great if God like showed up tomorrow and said, hey, you know that decision you made back in college? Mulligan time. I'm going to give you mulligan. I'm going to give you do-over. Hey, you know that thing you experienced when you were a teenager? I want to give you a mulligan for that. I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that for you. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Because I'm guessing every single one of us in this room, we would change. We would, we would take those do-overs, wouldn't we? We, we wouldn't want to experience that. We wanna, wouldn't want to have made that decision. We would say, yeah, this sounds amazing. But here's the truth. That's not how God works, and we can't change our past. So what would happen if you and I began to accept our past? Every Wednesday, 3 p.m., 
at Safe Harbor Counseling Office, you will find me. So if you don't believe I go to counseling, you can show up there and I'll wave to you as I walk back to see my counselor every single week. In fact, I got busted this week. I come out of my counseling thing and there's a family from the church who's sitting in the little waiting area and they're staring at me like, what are you doing here? Like, I told you I go to counseling. So I got, I can confirm that this happens for me, all right? I meet with a counselor, and I talk about all kinds of stuff. I talk about life and family and leadership and work. I talk about you and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's, uh, for me, it's free to be able to do that and to have this person do this with. But this week, we're, we're finishing up, and I'm like, hey, I need some sermon help, okay? I'm talking about the past. I'm talking about how we experience the past and what this, the past looks like. And how do we get beyond it? And I say, what, what's some, some good advice that you would give? And she said, the number one thing I find with people who can't get beyond their past is this. They don't have the ability to name it. I was like, what does that mean? She says, if you can name your past, you can begin to work through it. She says, so many people, especially people who face trauma, she says they're afraid to name what happened because they don't want to relive it. And she's like, I understand that, but it really is that first step to healing is to name it. Because when you, you name that, you can accept your past. You can begin that process of healing. Now, let me say this. Just because you name that past and accept it doesn't mean that it just kind of goes away, all right? That's why we talk about safe harbor counseling, and it's so important, and we'd love to get you connected. And if you're at this place where you're having a hard time naming that and accepting it and, and working through it, let us help you by connecting you with a counselor. Email us, office at thejourneynova.org, office at thejourneynova.org. Let us know. We'd love to connect you. Don't go through their website. Go through us. We'll make sure that you're taken care of, all right? But I know, I know that's hard to do, too, because we don't want to deal with the past that is there. We, we don't want to deal with the decisions that we've made that continue to bring us pain to this day. We, we definitely don't want to deal with the experiences that we've had, maybe as a child, and, and we don't want to work through that because of the, the pain that is there. But could it be the healing that we truly need begins by us being able to name that past and then begin to accept that it was a part of our story? Because I believe God can heal us through naming it and accepting the past that we've experienced. We, we can't change it, but we can begin to accept it and work through it. Again, I go back to Joseph here. He had uh, every right to be mad. He had every right to be angry. He had every right to be bitter. He had every right to make terrible decisions in his life. He had the right to hurt others. He had the right to give in to all his temptations. I mean, we look at his life and we say, if he does any of those things, we would fully understand that. But, but he doesn't. He accepts his past. But let me tell you how he does that. Here's what he understands, that God has the power to change your future. God has the power to change your future. Uh, Joseph's about 30 years old when he gets this role within Egypt with the Pharaoh. He's given this place of authority that's second in command only to Pharaoh. He's given this Egyptian wife. Uh, he's given an Egyptian name. And, and his job at this point is to make sure that there's enough grain for everybody. And so for seven years, that's all they do. They just collect grain. And they get to this place. They've got so much grain, they can't even count it anymore. Like, they're just like, all right, just keep bringing it in. We don't know how much it is, but there's a lot, right? 
And then the famine hits. And for seven years, there's famine there. But because of Joseph, but more importantly, because of God working in Joseph's life, Egypt has more than enough. In fact, they've got so much that people outside of Egypt are like, we don't have enough food. Can we come in and, and get some, buy some? And Egypt's like, yeah, sure, because we've got, we got more than what we know to do with. And, and that's sort of a cliffhanger for next week, all right? So come back next week, and we'll talk through that a little bit. But Joseph knows that God has the power to change his future. He knows that. And the reason is because he's seen God do it over and over again as all these detours kept coming into Joseph's life. And yet Joseph stayed true to God. He trusted God. He had faith in God. And God gave him success in his life. God brought him to this place where he has this incredible future. How do we know this? What's in what he names his sons? He has two sons. We read about them in verse 51. Joseph named his older son Manasseh. For he said, God has made me forget all my troubles and everyone in my father's family. Joseph named his second son Ephraim. For he said, God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. I look at the names of these two sons and... We, we read the, the meanings of their names, and you can see that Joseph understands what God has been doing in his life over all these years. That even as these detours have hit, God's been working. God has been moving in his life over and over and over again. Look at the first name. God has made me forget all my troubles, and everyone in my father's family. Um, the very first week we talked about there were some pretty deep uh, problems within this particular family that Joseph grew up in and and there's hurt there and there's there's abuse and there's hatred and it just didn't probably didn't go away right he, he probably uh, felt those feelings but it, it, it didn't capture him it, it didn't make him a prisoner even though it would have been easy for him to have have done that but but with this statement right here with this son's name he's saying hey God has made me forget all my troubles God has made me forget about my past God has made me forget about my detours and we may read that and think that sounds kind of harsh because, in fact, he's like, I forgot everybody in my father's family. But when you think about it, he's making a statement here. He said, I've had a rough past. I've had some things that have happened to me that are terrible. And, yeah, I could fall into what the world would kind of want me to fall into. But he's like, because of God and God moving in my life, I can move forward too. He realizes that God has been at work in his life. And then we look at the meaning of the second child. God has made me fruitful in this land of my grief. A couple of connections here. One connects to what's happened there in Egypt, right? Um, because of God working in Joseph's life, the Egyptians have plenty of grain during this famine. And so he's not only helping the people of Egypt, but he's helping people outside of Egypt who are coming in and getting this grain too. So, you know, th this name is connected to that, but it's also connected to his family background, uh, that, he, that he came to this position broken and he came to this position hurt and struggling. But here he is now, and, and he's got this job, and he's got this wife, and he's got these sons, 
God has been with him and leading him this whole time. And now he's seeing the fruition of that trust and that faith in God. Through all the detours that Joseph experienced and had been through, again, he can look and see that God has been with them, that God hasn't gone anywhere. God has been right with him and has changed, changed his future. Now, it's easy for us to see that and to read it and say, well, that's nice for Joseph, but hey, I'm still in pain. My past still hurts. I'm fully captive to it. I don't, I don't know how to take this next step forward, but I want you to notice something about Joseph when he tells what the names of his sons are. There's a little phrase he has in there. He says, God has made me. God has made me. Notice Joseph doesn't say, I have made me. He doesn't say, look what I did. I did this. He doesn't say in today's culture, like, I manifested this to happen, does he? He doesn't say that. He, he says, God has made me. And so here he is looking at where he is now and looking at his past and saying, through everything that I've experienced, through all these detours I have been through, God has been right here with me this whole time. God has led me and God has blessed me and God has been at work in my life. God has made me. For some of us, we can take that same phrase for ourselves and we can look at our past, the decisions we've made, the experiences we've had, and we can fill in the rest of that statement ourselves, right? For what God has done in our life. We can look at where we are right now and say, God has made me, and we can say, this is where God has, has made me this day because of where I've been and my trust and faith in God, which has been hard sometimes, but because of that, this is where I am now. And, and you can fill that in pretty easily. But for others, I know that's kind of hard. For others, I know those decisions still linger. Those experiences are still present. And so you, you read that and you're like, well, God hasn't made me anything right now. Let me throw this out to you as an idea. If this is where you are in your life, take that statement, God has made me, write it down somewhere, get a pen and paper, write that down, and then I want you to fill in what that future looks like for you with God. Maybe for you, you would say, hey, God has made me healed. God has made me healthy. God has made me alive. God has made me new. Maybe for you, that's the place you want to be. And you know you're not quite there yet because you've got this past that you've got to deal with. But it could be that you could say, this is where I want to be. Now, how do I get there? Well, it's by putting your trust and faith in God. And again, we see this over and over again with Joseph. And maybe for you, you're thinking about that, but you're like, oh, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've experienced. There's no way God wants anything to do with someone like me. Yeah, someone else got to be great for, but not for me, not for my particular past. Well, there's a passage in Romans I want to share with you, but before we get there, let me say that last week, Joel was up here speaking, and he gets to the end of his message. I think he makes everybody stand, and 
He's reading from Romans chapter 8, and uh, he starts doing that, and I start laughing because, not because it's a funny verse, but I'm like, well, hold up. That's the verses I'm using next week. <laughs> we, I got to go rewrite a whole sermon because of that, right? But I was thinking about it, and Joel and I were talking about it. We were laughing about it because I, I, didn't, I didn't write that after hearing him. It was like I'd written this a couple of weeks ago for this part, and um, we, we both were chatting. We're like, you know what? Maybe that's because this is what God needs some of you to hear. Maybe this is God speaking to your soul because you were stuck in the past. You're a prisoner to it, and you don't think there's a God who loves you. And I love these words from Paul, Romans 8, 38. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. There is no decision that you have ever made in your life that can separate you from the love of God. There is no horrible, terrible experience that you've ever had in your life that can separate you from the love of God. There is no valley that's too deep that will separate you from the love of God. There is no darkness too dark that will separate you from the love of God. There is no detour that's too far that will separate you from the love of God. And yet too often we are so stuck in our past, so imprisoned by it, we think God can't love us. And God says, no, I fully love you with this incredible, unconditional love. And I do this because of my son, Jesus. That, that I sent Jesus to this earth to show you the kind of love I have for you. <laughs> you know what? You don't deserve it. But I love you. I love you. And there's nothing that can separate you from the love that I have for you. But like Joseph says, hey, I can't do this on my own. I can only do this through God. Wherever you may be in your spiritual journey right now, maybe some of us, we are we're thinking about that phrase, God has made me, and it's easy to put whatever that is for you. God has made me alive. God has made me new, whatever it may be. For others, we're trying to figure that out. And maybe you're trying to figure that out on your own. And maybe for you, kind of like Gary was talking about a little bit earlier, it's, it's taking that first step, right? It's saying, hey, Yep, I, I am a sinner, but I, I got to change that. I, I got to take those next steps, that, that first step to give my life to Christ. And, and for us here, that's taking that step of baptism. On Easter Sunday, we're having baptisms here, and we'd love for you to join us in that. There are, I think, seven or eight people downstairs right now going through a baptism class. Maybe you've got questions. We'd love to answer those for you because that is a huge step, that first real step that we take in our spiritual journey. To be able to say, I can't do this alone. I can't deal with my past. I can't deal with these detours, but God can. And God can do that, and I believe that because nothing will separate us from the love that God has for us.
My prayer is we can fill that statement out and be able to say, God is helping me through this past. God is helping me through these detours. God is leading me into this incredible future. I'm going to put my trust and faith in that kind of God. God has made me.